Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. Thanks for joining with us today. Um, As we're filming today, I'm really thinking about you guys and I'm praying for you. Um, We've been asking the question about where your heart is in this moment. Uh, And if you're afraid or numb or lethargic, um, or maybe you're stirred to action right now or even overcome by anxiety, uh, I want you to know that our hearts are with you and our minds are with you this week um, as you're preparing for this kind of brand new week and just as daily updates come out and as our new normal continues to shift and change uh, like the ground underneath our feet, I just want you to know that we're with you and uh, we're standing with you, praying for you. I was reading this morning in Joshua 10, uh, when Joshua led Israel to defeat the five Amorite kings. Uh, and there's this really powerful moment where Joshua pulls these kings out of this hiding place in a cave and he puts them on the ground and he has his leaders come and put their feet on the necks of the Amorite kings. Uh, and he says to his people, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you're going to fight. And I felt something even when I was reading it this morning, kind of rise up in me for you. Um, and just to say to you, in the same way that God triumphed over those kings in the face of all Israel, I believe he's doing the same thing for us as a community and as a people, that he is proving his faithfulness uh, and calling us to be people of courage right now. So do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. This is exactly what God's going to do to all the enemies that you come up against. And so I pray that you'll take courage right now in this season. Uh, And just know, uh, you guys know this, but that doesn't mean that we don't face sickness and trial and hardship. But it means even in the face of that, God's victorious. And even in the face of that, that the gospel moves forward and that he cares for you as his son or daughter. And so I'm really excited uh, about what God's doing in your heart in the midst of crisis. And not on the backside of crisis, uh, not with all of that done and resolved, but right now in the middle of that. What is it that God is producing in you? It's of extreme importance. That, you are, uh, that you're aware to that, or aware of that, and that you sense what it is that God is stirring in you right now. Um, I've really been wrestling and praying over what God would have me to share with you guys today, uh, and I've been stirred by what I believe is the call to the church right now, and really a deep conviction in my heart for our community specifically, for Columbus and Phoenix City and Smith Station, uh, for Midland and Fortson, for Pine Mountain, for all of those regions. This is what I feel like God is stirring in me for those communities. Uh, As the impact of this virus continues to isolate people from their work communities and their non-essential communities, we're seeing people learn how to function again in this new, unique way inside their proximal communities. Uh, So one of the things that I've been faced with is the fact that I don't know my own community very well. And I don't know if you've felt that same kind of tension in you over the past couple of days. Uh, For many of us, for all of us, I I would imagine we spend most of our lives with individuals and in groups of people that don't live near to us. They live on the other side of the city or um, they're not really connected to our lives and what we hold dear and sacred apart from the organization that maybe we work for. And so right now we're having to relearn how to relate to one another in close proximal settings. And we're learning how to operate as families and neighborhoods again. And I really think that this is part of what's going on right now is that God is calling us uh, to be disciples in that localized setting. Um, And we're having to step up 
um, into what it means to be Christ followers in those places as well. And so this is a message all in itself. You know, if we were to stop and just talk about that, I think we could focus for the next hour and a half just talking about that. Um, But for a lot of us, we're rediscovering the relationships that God has entrusted to us for our formation and our identity. And I want to ask you to be really present and aware of what God is doing there. That this may feel like a blip on the radar. um, And in weeks and months and years to come, I think that we'll look back and say, this was a time that allowed me to reprioritize who God has called me to be in my family and in my direct, tangible community. Um, but here's my question for you, okay? And it's purely theoretical. What if quarantining is prolonged? Think about it. What if we're not talking about four weeks? What if we're talking about four months? What if, what if it's stretched to six months or to a year? What if, for the sake of discussion, our communities go into prolonged lockdown as We just heard this week, Atlanta is now officially in lockdown. What if that spreads into our communities here locally? And what if this is a longer scenario than what we're experiencing? I believe deep in my soul right now that what God is doing is that he is raising up families and individuals to discover their unique purpose in this moment and to become stewards and storehouses of the spirit of God in their communities. Now, I want to say that again. I really believe right now, that what God is doing in, in our communities, in our faith communities, all through our society, is that He is raising up families and individuals to step into their unique purpose in this moment to become stewards and storehouses of the Spirit of God in their communities. And crises have these subtle ways of becoming these kairos moments when people rise to the occasion and they meet the moment with courage and purpose. And I think we're seeing that. There is an opportunity through the context that we're in right now where people are stepping into unique purpose, into unique value to add to the lives of those around them. I think of people like Gideon, who was the weakest in his clan and his family by self-admission. Like he was not the guy you run to for answers, for wisdom or for strength or anything, right? Even the first time that we see Gideon in the scriptures, he's hiding out in a wine press, like smashing grapes where the Midianites can't see him. But somehow, even in this story, this moment of crisis, God invited Gideon into a story that was larger than him, and he used his life for his glory. I think of Winston Churchill, who was caught upon in World War II times in Britain to lead as their prime minister during a moment that was pivotal in the history of the world and certainly in their culture. And Winston Churchill was known forever as this wartime leader who led his people to victory and kept them inspired about what it meant to be a united front against evil. You know, there are stars that will not rise in gentle tides, but they are thrust into the brilliance in moments of devastation and great darkness to bring light to many. I want to say that again. You are one of these stars maybe that has not risen in gentle tides in moments where there was no pushback, there was no crisis, there was no difficulty, but you're awaiting this moment of crisis and hardship to be thrust into brilliance so that you can bring light into darkness. And so I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 41. Um, I really believe that this story is a pregnant story for us now. It's giving birth to new ideas and new dreams and new visions of what God wants to do. And so in Genesis chapter 41, we're going to start reading at verse 28, but I want to give you very briefly a background of what the story tells us. 
Uh, in Genesis 41, we see this man, Joseph, who, if you know the story, uh, God has chosen this people. Uh, he gave his covenant promise to Abraham, who had two sons, Isaac. Uh, I'm sorry, who had Isaac, and Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob carried on the covenant of God. God spoke his covenant over Jacob, who was later renamed Israel, and he had 12 sons. And one of those sons was Joseph. And Joseph was the, he was the favored son. This is before Benjamin came along, but Joseph wore around this beautiful coat and uh, he started to have these prophetic dreams that his brothers and his family would all bow down at his feet. And foolishly, he just shared all these dreams with his family and his brothers got so envious that they actually took him in a field and they were gonna murder him, but instead they sold him into slavery. And the story goes on that uh, he went to Potiphar's house where he gained favor with Potiphar. He grew in favor and in knowledge in that household. And then he was accused of trying to rape Potiphar's wife falsely. Uh, this is a false accusation. And he's thrown into prison. And then he's in prison for like a decade or more. And then from there, he's elevated to this, this place of prominence. But we find him here in Genesis chapter 41 in this prolonged story of hardship and crisis uh, and dilemma. And there in the midst of that, Joseph is stewarding this gift that God has given to him. He has, he has been given by God the capacity to interpret dreams. And it's not like something he hoards, but he entrusts this thing to God and God uses him from time to time to interpret dreams. But secondly, God has given Joseph wisdom and favor and everything he touches, it seems, turns to gold. He doesn't change location. He's still in prison. But somehow God blesses his efforts and what he's doing, even where he's at. And so here in Genesis chapter 41, Pharaoh has now had uh, these, the same recurring dream over and over. And he can find no one who can interpret it. And so two men that Joseph has served with his gift of interpretation in the past um, was a, a baker and a cupbearer. And the cupbearer is standing before Pharaoh and he says, Ah, I remember a man named Joseph, a Hebrew who knows how to interpret dreams. He has the spirit of God inside of him. And this is where we pick up in verse 28. Uh, and so Pharaoh is telling the story of this dream to Joseph and Joseph is interpreting it and he interprets it purely. He says in verse 28, It's just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance of Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Now this is brilliant. 
In a moment that could only be orchestrated by God, Joseph is present in the dungeon of Pharaoh precisely when Pharaoh needs someone of his skill set to bring clarity and wisdom and discernment to his dream. And the result of this entire interaction is that many countless thousands, even millions, are saved from the destruction of famine that comes across the land for seven years. Now, I believe that we're standing in a moment like this, where God calls upon men and women of strength and courage to stand up and to be the answer for the need around them. And often we find that the people that God uses in these moments, they're not the ones who we would naturally choose. Right? Nobody's looking around in the Hebrew territories or in Egypt and saying, you know, we should really search the dungeons out for this grungy guy, Joseph, who evidently raped this lady in Egypt. Like no, Nobody's expecting this guy who's been down on his luck um, under a curse, so it would seem, for all of these years to be the answer. But somehow, God has particularly placed Joseph in this moment in time where he can use him divinely for his glory. Think of the backstory. And Joseph's been in, in prison for more than a decade. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was falsely accused for trying to rape his boss's wife. He was forgotten in prison for years and years and years. Can you imagine the amount of frustration? Can you imagine the years of disillusionment and feeling like maybe God hadn't been with you after all? And maybe everybody's accusations and maybe their threats and maybe all of the situations that Joseph had found himself in, maybe this was going to be the rest of his life. This is exactly where Joseph is. And Joseph's reasonable expectation is that he's going to live out the rest of his days enslaved and marked by something he had not done. But think about this. In God's redemptive plan, all that we might think of as evil in getting Joseph to this point is redemptively turned around to be the very path used to get Joseph into the palace. Now, I I don't want to miss this moment, and I don't want you to miss this moment, that for many of us, we live in trying times and in trying circumstances and situations. And in the midst of COVID-19, in the midst of other crises in our lives, maybe you've been facing things that came uh, long before COVID-19 that seemed insurmountable. And now this has come. And you may be actually questioning, God, why am I here? And why do things keep seeming to work out like this? The hope that we find in the story of Joseph is that God can redemptively turn around the worst situation in your life to prepare you to be the answer for a situation in the future. That doesn't mean that this is God's like formational tool. That doesn't mean that this is how God always goes about things. I don't believe that God forces evil upon us. And yet somehow he takes even the most broken situations to bring about his purposes and to use your life for his glory. When I think of God delivering me out of something, like Joseph, if you're Joseph and you're in prison, you're thinking, listen, I want to be delivered out of the prison. But Oftentimes, we don't think of the fact that God wants to use us right there. Oftentimes, we're thinking, man, if I could just get over here, then I can fulfill the purpose that God has for my life. And God may have you specifically in a place to do something for His glory right now. In in the midst of crisis, not, not on the other side of it, right? Joseph is promoted to the palace from the prison precisely so that God can use him to deliver people from disaster. What if the hardship 
and the despair that you've suffered up until now has actually been a pathway to God's plan to use you as the answer to other people's affliction. This this is the, the beautiful thing about the life of the redeemed is that God can use your worst day to become somehow the redemptive solution for somebody else's worst day. That somehow he can take the broken pieces of your life that you feel like, man, why has God turned his back on me? And God wants to reveal that he has not turned his back on you, that he will use even those things that feel like the most shattered, broken pieces, and that he will use them to bring about his divine purpose. It reminds me of seeds, man. Seeds have to be broken to produce life. And oftentimes our lives are like those seeds. We feel like, man, that this thing has been planted in order to be crushed. And while I don't believe, again, that God is the one crushing, I do believe that He allows even the crushing to produce life. That even in those moments where we feel so broken and despairing, that we can have this this, uh, confidence in our heart that God has us in the palm of His hand. He will use every piece of our lives for our good and for His glory. And this is exactly what we see here in the life of Joseph. What if you're right where you need to be to do what it is that God's called you to do? Musicians, what if you don't have to travel to Atlanta? What if, what if God's called you here? Videographers, what if, what if God has called you into this moment to create and to produce things that bring about some divine hope, some influence in the world that people can see things differently? Teachers, what about you? Man, Do you have to be in the perfect school setting? Or maybe God has called you into this innovative moment to produce something that you didn't have a dream of before now. What if God has called you to now to do what he's he's purposed you to do in your life all along? Man, I believe that God is calling for Josephs who have been faithful in the seen moments and in the hidden seasons. He's calling Josephs who can use what he's entrusted to them to meet the needs of the community around them. Joseph had a gift And you have a gift. The scriptures tell us that if if you are in Christ, that he has put his spirit inside of you and that he is equipping you with gifts. That to each one of us, the manifestation of the spirit, the outpouring of the spirit has been given for the common good and that he has given gifts to men and women. And often we just talk about Joseph's gift of interpreting dreams, dreams, excuse me, but notice that as soon as Joseph interprets this dream, He actually starts to suggest a plan of action and how Pharaoh can respond to what's coming. Joseph has this this incredible wisdom, this incredible discernment. He can not only see a dream, but he's able to apply it with wisdom and understanding to how the times um, are, are calling for. And right now, I believe that we need wisdom like Joseph. Not just dreams and visions, not just the interpretation of dreams and visions, but men and women of wisdom who can apply and walk out what God is saying in this moment in our culture. Joseph responded, not just in faith that everything was going to be okay, but he laid out a strategy in how everything was going to be okay. Listen to me, friends. We don't want to to trade off charismatic positivity for real-world authentic wisdom which says that we have to also think about how this works. Let us not just just whisper nice sounding statements, but let us be people of the Spirit who walk in both faith and wisdom, who walk in the faith to see as God sees, to declare things that are not as though they were, who can trust and believe that God is who He said He is and that we are who who He said we are and that we can do what He has said we can do in this moment. We have faith. 
But we also have wisdom. That in this moment, God is breathing direction and guidance and discernment about how to walk out His divine will and purposes in this moment. So it's not only faith that God is going to carry us, but how is He going to cause us to lead and serve and love people and express compassion in the midst of suffering and chaos? How can we apply leadership and authority as gentle shepherds? That's the call to wisdom. And our moment demands that we have both faith and wisdom. James 1.5 tells us that if any of you lacks wisdom, if anybody, I don't know if you've had that moment where you just thought, I don't know what to do here. Like, like in this moment where coronavirus is spreading and things are well over our heads. We don't, man, I don't know how to school my kids. You know what I mean? I don't know how to pastor people from afar. That's not my gift. But somehow in this moment, there has been this demand that has called us all to pivot and to shift. And, and God is asking, do you want wisdom? He says, if any of you lacks it, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. So God's not looking as to whether or not like you've made some mistakes or you're up to par. The truth is none of us are up to par. We've all made mistakes. And in the midst of that, James 1 says, ask for wisdom if you like it. Ask. And God gives it generously. He goes on in chapter 3, verse 17 to say that wisdom comes from heaven. And it first of all is pure. And then it's peace loving. And it's considerate and submissive and full of mercy and good fruit and impartial and sincere. Listen to that. He says it's pure. It's single of heart. It doesn't have some background motivation. Wisdom is about the benefit of others. It's peace-loving. It's to bring the presence of God and the peace of Christ into circumstances and situations. It's learning to apply knowledge and understanding in a way that benefits people. It's considerate. If you're a person of wisdom, you're thinking about other people and how things are going to impact them. It's submissive, meaning like it's not just about you having the right answers, but it actually submits to other people as well. It's full of mercy and good fruit. Listen to this. This is what wisdom is. Wisdom's not trying to harm other people. It's full of mercy. It's trying to bring blessing. It's trying to bring peace. It's good fruit. It's impartial. It doesn't have favorites. Wisdom expresses love and compassion and consideration for all people. It's sincere. It comes from the heart. Joseph had a plan, but it wasn't just to show that he was smart. He executed this plan so that others could benefit from it. His hardship hadn't caused him to become hard-hearted. And right now, one of the things that we face as a community is when we're facing times of stress or fear or anxiety, many times we shrink back into uh, cold-heartedness and hard-heartedness. We actually lose our love for one another. And this was a warning that we have soundly from the scriptures where Paul talked to Timothy and he said, like in the end times, people will grow cold in their love for one another. And I want to encourage you right now, church, that our, our trust in Jesus is that we are called to be generous and to share compassionately with others and trust that God will meet our needs. So don't, don't waver into cold-heartedness where you can't respond to the needs of others around you out of fear that you're going to lack or not have enough. And don't be hard-hearted. Maybe you've got some contempt or hatred or frustration in your heart because of decisions that other people are making. Now, can I encourage you right now to let your heart be tenderized and softened by the Spirit? 
Joseph exercised this kind of compassion. His hardship didn't cause him to become hard-hearted, but he leveraged everything that God gave him for the benefit of others. And right now, you and I, we may be in a season where it feels like our resources are limited. And can I just tell you, we, we don't operate under limited resource. We operate out of a kingdom where there is no limitation. Right? We, we serve the God of the immeasurable more who can do more than anything I hope for, or I can ask, or I imagine. So this is what we're operating in right now. And I just wonder, I, w- I want to ask the question, who are the Josephs that God is raising up now? What Churchills is he raising up? How many Gideons is he bringing to bear in the world? How many Deborahs or Harriet Tubmans or Dr. Kings is he raising up right now? Here in this moment of conflict, this is when God raises people into their brilliance. This is when God uh, uncovers people's unique purpose and gifting. Men and women of valor, men and women of compassion and conscience and strength. Where are they? And where are you? Will you allow God to raise you up in this moment to meet the needs around you? To be a person of conscience and conviction in in this time period. Not to isolate, but to innovate. Not to keep the world at bay. And I'm not, there's wisdom, obviously, in like self-quarantining. Yes. But man, when the needs are outside your door, how do we respond? Wisdom and faith. Right? We, we, we want to walk in wisdom, but we also want to walk in faith. We want to apply our wisdom also in a way that benefits other people. So we see this here. God uses Joseph to become the steward over all Egypt. And in this moment of crisis, the king is looking not for another authoritarian. He's not looking for another government official. He looks for a prophet. He looks to the man who has wisdom and discernment and understanding to bring influence into the earth. And in this moment... Friends, listen to me. In this very moment, the kings of our land, government officials and CEOs and executives and chief influencers, they're not looking for other um, financial advisors, but they're looking for people with the heart and the wisdom of God who can become fathers over Egypt, just like in our story. They're looking for people who have a word for now and who can live wisely now. And I want to encourage you, that God is calling you and he is calling me to be a steward of God's wisdom in our communities. I want to leave you just with a couple simple thoughts from the text. Joseph doesn't just interpret the dream. He also has this, this plan, this strategy that comes from the wisdom that God has put in his heart. One of the things that Joseph says is he establishes commissioners right out of the gate. He says, Pharaoh, listen, this is the need that's coming You should establish commissioners over all of these communities. And in Joseph's wisdom, he saw that if they were going to successfully ride out this famine or this hardship, they needed to take this community that was large and often it was too big to really understand and they had to begin to shrink it down to something that was manageable. And I want to be really practical with you right now about what it means to live a gospel-filled life in your neighborhood. Because as isolation intensifies, as quarantine intensifies, we're going to depend on our localized proximal communities like we've never depended on them before. I'm concerned that many of us are still so focused on our own needs and going to the store to make sure we're stocked up on toilet paper and eggs and milk and cereal and all those things are good. But listen, if I can help to just redirect your attention a little bit, 
I'm concerned that many of us are still so focused on making sure that we have what we need that many of us haven't begun to see ourselves as a resource to meet the needs of those around us. And, and I want to ask you right now, as the church, to take a moment and to consider that maybe God has put you in the neighborhood you're in or in the apartment complex that you're in or in the geographical location that you're in right now in order to make you a resource for that community around you? What if you're the only Christ follower that's in that area? What if you're the only person who has an eternal hope living in them, who's rooted on the east side of Columbus? What what if you're the only person in the Winton Grove neighborhood or in Hilton Heights um, or wherever, Carver Heights or over in Midland? What if you're the only person on your street that is meant to be a light in darkness? Many times we're so focused on what we need and fear and anxiety that drives us to make sure that we have what we need that we haven't considered yet that maybe God wants us to be a conduit for His divine resource to flow through us to the people around us. You are the resource that God is looking for to meet the needs around you. One of the massive shifts that we can take right now, particularly in church environments, is that you don't just depend on what's happening right now. You just watching the screen that this is the resource to make sure that you have what you need. But the big shift, the big pivot is when you realize that you are God's resource to the community around you. And I want to encourage you to stop trying to focus on the whole city. It's too big. Stop trying to focus on the whole nation. It's too big. And all the needs that come along with that but maybe you can sharpen your focus. Maybe you can, you can focus it in a more intense manner on the immediate needs around you. And so I want to invite you to do something right now. I want you to take 20 seconds. Okay, I got my watch. I want you to take 20 seconds. I want you to stand up. You don't even have to pause this. I'm just going to sit here for a second. I want you to walk to your front door, open it up, and look to the left and the right as far as you can see. Go ahead. I should sing some kind of music, I guess. Like You get it. Keep going. I'm going to give you a couple more seconds. Okay, I'm impatient. It's not 20 seconds. Welcome back. Welcome back. Now, if you look to the left and the right down your street, uh, chances are you saw a whole bunch of houses or if you live in an apartment complex, like a couple of doors, you know, some floors below you and above you. Um, And in the midst of that, you probably noticed a lot of homes that you don't know the people who live there. Like you've been living there for three or four years and you've never really met them or talked to them. And somehow the homes that you can see in those apartment complexes, those apartment buildings, across the street from you, those are under your scope of leadership now as a steward of God's presence and His power. Please, come along with me. I feel like I'm saying something that we can all understand, but I feel like for many of us, this is a real struggle. God has sent you to the place where you live on purpose. And this is a whole other message, but God has a purpose for you right there, right now. And he is making you a steward of his kingdom in that neighborhood. Don't be overwhelmed at the size of the need, but get focused on meeting the needs that you can. So first off, 
Joseph established commissioners. He, he made the picture smaller so that they could accomplish the mission. Secondly, Joseph established a storehouse of grain. Now think about this. In Joseph's foresight, there needed to be a way not to just enjoy the resources that were there, but to store away the resources they had in a plan to escape destruction when they didn't have resource. He's, he's making a savings plan, but he's making it for an entire nation. And how does he do that? He, he does it because he establishes commissioners on a local level. So even as kingdom people, we understand that God wants to bring about providence and provision and abundance in our community. But he's going to do it by using kingdom people in neighborhoods to establish um, little beacons, little lighthouses all over the place. Just like our friends that take the city here locally, they call them lighthouses where they have missional homes and communities uh, that have needs. It's beautiful. We, we want to establish little beacons, little lighthouses all over the place and not just ones attached to nonprofits, but you, your life in your neighborhood becomes this lighthouse for God's glory. And in Joseph's foresight, there had to be a way to store and prepare for hard times ahead. And now listen, I don't believe that this quarantine or virus is going to keep us homebound and in turmoil for the next year. I just, I don't. I don't think that that's what we have ahead of us. But I do believe that Christ's followers should have foresight to store up for others, both spiritually and materially, uh, resources that they can distribute and take care of people with. Listen to me. This is a fantastic opportunity right now. If you're a person of benevolent and generous heart and you have a desire to show mercy and love and compassion to others, feel free to stock up to the nth degree. But if you are called to hoard goods because you're scared that this is the apocalypse and zombies are upon us, can I encourage you? That is not a faith-filled perspective and it's leading you into things that are all kinds of evil. If you're stocking up guns and bullets to deal with this crisis, there, you have a heart condition. You have a heart problem that you need to deal with with the Lord. This is a time to lean into compassion and kindness and loving your neighbor. Are you with me? Yes, I feel the big amen. Anything in your person or culture that says we need to hoard right now, man, resist that and put that thing down. That is sin. That has nothing to do with anything that's godly. Um, and if you've bought more than enough, which I hope you have, I want to encourage you to see what God has given you as a storehouse. Uh, you now run a kingdom distribution center in your neighborhood. Congratulations. <laughs> so what if we began to execute plans in our neighborhood and communities to meet the felt needs around us? And what if this crisis is teaching us how to be stewards of compassion for the world around us? What if God is taking us through a lesson right now and how to be stewards and storehouses for those around us so that we can care for the least of these, so that we can care for those who are vulnerable. You know, one of the things that I've felt really deeply is that with our church structures dispersed right now uh, for the time being, that we need to step into our roles as shepherds uh, and, and leaders and pastors in our own neighborhoods. And that's not me. That's not just Pastor Grant who needs to step into this role of pastoring. It's you. That God is calling you to shepherd and pastor other people in your neighborhood. Uh, and so one of the things that I want to draw your attention to on our website, if you go there right now, uh, you can open a new tab on your, on your browser. 
go to fountaincity.org. We've created a little sheet that we're going to continue to add to. And this is really a resource to help you learn how to create a neighborhood network and to meet physical and spiritual needs in your community. Uh, and so one of the things that we're finding is most people just aren't comfortable having conversations or they don't know their neighbors or they're concerned with COVID-19 now. Like, how do I even do this? And so we just created a little descriptive resource excuse me, on how you can reach out to your neighbors and start to be empowered to have uh, powerful conversations, to find out what people's needs are, and to create emergency contact lists. It's practical, but it builds relationships so that you can love people really well, and so you can show them the kingdom in action, faith, and wisdom. Uh, and so I want to encourage you to do that. So go to fountaincity.org, um, and then you can look at the COVID-19 um, link that's there at the top in the navigation bar. Um, from there, you find our response and you find Create a Neighborhood Network. Click on Create a Neighborhood Network and it will lead you to all the documents that we have there. And if you have any question about that, uh, just message into us. I'd love to help you guys set that up. Uh, finally, and this is the final point, you are commissioners. You are those stewards of God's kingdom and you are the storehouse. You're not just running a storehouse you're not just a steward of physical resources. You are the, the steward and the storehouse of God's Spirit. And the thing that people need more now than ever before is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I love that one of the pieces of the armor of God is shoes that are fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. You know, one thing that our, our world needs right now is peace. And when they look at your life and you just become like this moving link everywhere you go, people experience the peace of God and they can just download the peace of God. They can connect with you and understand why you have peace in the midst of crisis and anxiety. It, it is a real world um, connection to God who's a good father. And so can I encourage you right now that the resources are not just what you can fit into your pantry and they're not just what you have in your bank account. Um, those are great resources to distribute and to care for others. But I pray that we are a resource of the Spirit. What our world needs more now than ever are encounters with the power and the presence of God. They need the Spirit to invade their homes. We need the Spirit to invade our communities and our neighborhood. Our government officials need the wisdom and the discernment of Almighty God to descend on them and to lead them now. And my hope and my prayer is that you sense this. But the answer is not the message on Sunday. The answer in this moment is what God is doing in you to be the prophetic answer in this moment. To be the person who answers the call for what our communities are crying out for. To step into the place where you can see your life as a resource in God's hand and an answer to the prayer that many people are uttering. Let's use every resource we can to bless and care for others. But don't forget that you are the steward of God's authority in the earth and that you are the storehouse of God's spirit on your block. Don't look to anyone else right now. Please step into the light. Understand that it is your time to rise up. And in Christ, you're the meeting place of heaven and earth where God causes his spirit to dwell. It's now that it is time to stand up. It's now that it's time to step out. It's now that it's time to rise up and to use everything that God has given you as a resource. And so I want to pray over you. And so would you just close your eyes right where you're at? Jesus, help us. Lord, we have become so accustomed to convenience and safety and 
honestly, just living cushy lives. Even the poorest among us often live really pretty cushy lives in our world. And God, I'm just asking you right now that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to what you're doing in this moment, what you require of your church in this moment. God, I pray that you would raise up the Josephs, God, those who feel like, man, they've maybe been hidden away or under oppressive years uh, where they've been forgotten or dismissed, where they've been mistreated. But somehow, God, you have equipped them internally and externally. You have postured them and positioned them to be right where they're at right now to serve your purposes in this moment. And God, I pray that our hearts wouldn't be hard, but they'd be tender and soft to your voice and how you'd have us to respond in this moment. They wouldn't be cold, but God, their hearts would be warmed to your spirit and your voice and that we would have love and compassion for those who are around us. Lord, I pray for that annoying neighbor on the right of us, that you would allow our hearts to grow for them. God, for that silent neighbor on the left of us that we just don't know and it's a little awkward and tenuous, God, would you help us? Help us to step into relationship with them. God, and to to close the gap, to build bridges between the people in our neighborhood around us, God, so that we can make much of your name and your gospel and your glory so that we can tell people just how good you are and how you've changed our lives and how you've forgiven us and shaped us and filled us with your spirit. Help us to live lives that that demand questions from the people around us, that our peace is infectious, that our hope is infectious. God, I pray, just like from our prayer time this week, that prayer that went out, that the Spirit of God would be more infectious than the spread of this disease, that when people bump into our lives digitally and proximally, that they would find grace and peace and hope and love and compassion, and they would be wooed to the kindness of our God. Father, open our eyes. There are men and women who are sitting silently at home right now And they feel shut down and isolated and consumed by fear and anxiety. And you are raising up within them right now spirit of wisdom, a spirit of compassion, and an overcoming spirit like the spirit of Gideon. That you are raising them up for this very moment. Now God, I pray that you would clarify their purpose. We give you thanks. Holy Spirit, would you speak right now? Come near to us. There is none like you, Father. There is no one better. There is no God more kind. There's no one who loves like you love. There's no one who treats us like you do. God, you're so compassionate and patient and gentle. You're so filled with love. Lord, I pray that you would enter into homes today where there is anxiety, fear. God, that your peace would come down like a river. God, it would just flow in homes today. I pray for the Spirit of God to rest in homes, God, that that evangelist spirit would would give birth in our hearts today, Lord, that we would share our faith with those around us boldly, boldly, not holding back. Let us be bottom line kind of believers who believe in, in knowing you with everything inside of us, God, and helping other people to do the same. Leverage our lives for your glory. Leverage our resources for your glory. And teach us, God, to just delight in you every day. Teach us not to miss you in the midst of all this. We cling to you, Lord Jesus. Oh God, please lead us, lead us, lead us. Don't let us go to sleep at the will. 
Help us to live boldly and courageously before you. We give you thanks. May the world see your goodness and your glory through your people right now. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. Bless you. Have an incredible week. If you need anything, call us. Reach out. We're here. We want to meet your needs. See you.